Hello and welcome all to today's episode in Birding Conversations. I have the honor today to be here with one of our top producers, actually the head of the producers, Israel. And hi, Israel. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, My honor. Yeah, it's, it's so a pleasure to be here. So first, tell everyone something about who are you? Yeah, so my name is Israel, and I run Montebello Media, which is the company that produces this podcast and uh, does all the back-end work and setting up the mics and the cameras and, and all of those things. Um, but I'm also just the average guy. Uh, and especially when it comes to postpartum depression, like I have zero, zero to very little knowledge about postpartum depression and everything that I've, or postpartum disorders. Now I've learned that term. I didn't know that term uh, up until recently. And all the knowledge that I've had has been based off this podcast and, and wow. off the work that we got to do with, with you. So um, one of the exciting things that I've, I've told you off podcast, and I guess this is kind of like the first time it's going public in the sense is I'm going to be having a kid. Yes. Congratulations. Um, and that'll be our first. It's going to be in February. So, you know, I was thinking about this podcast and what we're doing here and what you're doing here. And I, and I realized for the average person like myself, like there's just so much unknowns. And I wanted to get on an episode and just ask you some questions about like the realities of postpartum depression. Like sometimes maybe even the harsh realities that people don't want to talk about. Um, and I think at least for myself and maybe for other people in my circumstance, it'll be really good to know like those things, like to, to hear like what's the... Like, obviously, there's the best case scenario, but like, what's the worst case scenario? And then maybe I can work my way back from there. And it's like, if I'm going through something and it's not the worst, You're brave. I'm doing better. You're brave. Thank you. Not everyone is so brave. Like a lot of people I find, they just don't want to know. And they want to believe, which is a good thing to believe and always hope for the best, that it's not something that's going to hit them. Sure. But in reality, it hits one in five, which is 20%. And not all 20% is going to be such harsh cases, but they will be postpartum depression and anxiety, you name it, yeah. all kinds of them. So you are brave. Thank you. And I'm very excited for this episode. I think it's very unique. When, you were, when we spoke originally about this idea, I've been looking for it since then. So it's finally happening. It is. Same. So, but you know what's, what's interesting is I think my wife, would not want to hear this. And my wife's like, I don't want to know the best. Don't tell me your worst case scenario because then she gets in her head of like, maybe that's going to happen to me. I don't view it that way. Like I want to be personally, like I want to be prepared. And especially I think as a spouse, right? And and I'd love to talk about a little later on what the spouse's role is in all yeah. of this and, and maybe how it affects the man. But I think as a spouse, like I'm not going to be the one dealing with the same, that same level of disorder, that hormonal change per se. And because of that, like, it's somewhat external. It's obviously it's internal in, in my relationship, but it's, it's external to me. And therefore, maybe I'm, I'm able to deal with it a little better and have a little more foresight and I can plan ahead a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and maybe there's other people like me. You know what? For the husbands to have the knowledge is very crucial. We the moms, and you're right. And it's not the first time I hear this, that your wife doesn't want to know. Because there is a very fine line between knowing to being scared. Yeah. And that fine line now, especially women when they're vulnerable and they're pregnant and then birth, just from being scared in their mind, they can start developing some symptoms. So 
that's always the challenge with awareness because on one hand, I want everyone to be aware because not being aware is not going to help the situation if it's a real postpartum and anxiety, you name it. Now, to scare them off, I don't want that either. So it's a very, very fine line, which is extremely challenging. Yeah. Because how? If you want to say the whole truth, then what? If you don't want to say, then what? Yeah. So So I would love to jump into, like to get this conversation really started, is what it what is PPD? Like what can you give me like an overview of you know, there's postpartum disorder, postpartum depression, and I'm learning that they might be slightly different things. Um, and one thing I want to preface this, you know, someone said to me, depression is being worried about the past. Anxiety is being worried about the future. Right. That's a nice so, way of framing it, kind of. Kind of, right? So like the <laughs> kind of. po- postpartum depression, especially, like, is it about the past of what, what they used to be and not like that I'm no longer maybe, you know, uh, I'm no longer single. I'm no longer just on my own. I have now I have a whole other uh, you know person to take care of. Is it the future of like n- now I have a child and I'm going to have so many things in my life? It's like that would be. I would almost call it postpartum anxiety, right? So maybe you can tell me what what yeah. PPD really is. Okay, so first, uh, postpartum or perinatal disorders and postpartum depression is part of that. So it's not two different things. Got it. it is just that in perinatal, which includes pregnancy and after birth, the, one of them is depression. Another one is an anxiety. Another one is PTSD. And another one is OCD. And another one is psychosis. And another one is bipolar. So you have those six kinds, but they all fall under perinatal disorders. Got it. So that's the overarching, that's the that's, umbrella. That's the umbrella. Okay. Yeah. Now, in postpartum and in perinatal, which is more accurate as far as calling it in the right term, um, in that, it's a little bit hard to divide if it's past or future because it's very hormonal. And they don't even act exact the same as regular, don't have to act the same as regular depression and anxiety. Now, you mentioned something good that past stuff can come up, which can more lead to trauma, yep. which is the past. And then an anxiety is always about the future, in general, an anxiety. Yeah what if and what when it's really not living in the moment and having very excessive worries which such a big percent i believe in the world and in america are struggling with a day to day some more some less now here when hormones kick in they play a different role so dr tursky which was my mentor my partner he always used to say that he wouldn't call postpartum or perinatal disorders a mental illness. He said he would totally call it a hormonal challenge disorder, however you want to call it. Because like the hormones imbalance. play imbalance, yeah, is maybe the right word, because they play the hormones play a very big role. Within that, what you mentioned before, is psychological stuff that can occur. But it's the same like if I have a headache, I can have a headache because, God forbid, something serious can be going on or because I didn't sleep last night. 
So the headache can be the same, but the reason can be a very different reason. For sure. So hormones are hormones. Question is, when the mom is not reacting well to this hormonal change, because a woman is experiencing hormonal changes from the minute she gets her period till post-menopause, and sometimes even then it takes time, depending on her age, till all the hormones are kind of slowing down, and even yep. then it's a lack of estrogen. And so this is, but at the age from a period till after menopause, that's kind of the big bulk of major hormonal changes. Now, not everyone is reacting the same. Some are reacting fine. It's just part of human, you know, they can be a little edgy, a little moody, sure. but nothing out. And then you have some which are very sensitive to it. So this is where it's different than just talking about depression and anxiety in general. Now, you're mentioning depression and anxiety, then of course someone that has a history of depression and an anxiety or PTSD, any of them, the risk factor is higher. So the hormonals, the hormones are like triggering yeah, those other they're things. Triggering but it, things which it's it's a weak part in this women anyways, to begin with. But it all comes down to these hormones, right? It's not yeah. it's not a, a, a standard form of depression or anxiety, no, right? It's not. So and would it be a safe assumption? And we'll get into I know there's gonna be more details about postpartum depression, but our disorders, but is would it be safe to say that once the hormone imbalances balance out, the depression goes away? It should. It should. So it should. so really the goal is to get the the imbalances. It's not even just yeah. about treating an anxiety or depression. Yeah. If we would be now in a perfect world we would have hormonal treatments, which one of them is out, a GABA treatment, but was only in intravenous, and now it's in medicine, and, you know, it's not, not everyone is trusting it yet. It's very new, and it had to be in hospitalization oh, form wow. in, in the last, in the inpatient in the last couple of years. So that's why it's not popular yet. But in a perfect world, that's how we would need to treat perinatal disorders. We wouldn't need to treat them with SSRIs, which are antidepressants or mood stabilizers or whichever medication is being used. So we would, we essentially, we'd be able to focus on the root issue, not the yeah. not putting band aids on like exactly. the symptoms. But it's not available, right? It's just not available yet. I'm I'm so, curious, going looking at like PPD as a or postpartum disorders. Or perinatal disorders, as we as we're saying yeah. now, um, from like an overall standpoint, is there like first of all, how common is this really? You said you mentioned one in five before, yeah. but is there a particular like a particular group or demographic that's more susceptible to it? Like or like is it is it more possible for someone to have it on their first child than their fifth child? You know, or things like that. You're asking very good questions. So I. I was trying to kind of collect kind of my own data. Now, officially, it's one in five. If you're asking me with the 16 years experience behind me, I am. <laughs> I think it's more than one in five. It just depends to what extent it is. Now, what number of birth recently, I have to say, more than ever before, I've seen it with first time moms. 
Before that, I would, if I would have to do my own statistic, I would say third birth. Interesting. But then when it happened in the third birth and I would go back in history, I would have many moms that would say they did feel something at first and second, but they were able to swing by and, and kind of didn't pay so much attention. And by the third, it kind of busted. Now, recently, a lot of first-time moms, a lot. Like, So I cannot give you, because there aren't statistics. When I'm going to have an extra minute, I think I'm going to kind of do my own statistics from my yeah. database. And it would be interesting to see percentage-wise. Absolutely. Now... Do you... Sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but is there... And is there any reason that you you can, even if it's an estimation, a guess to some degree, but like, is there anything that makes you think like, this is why more first time moms or like, why, why a third mom, third time mom? Like, is it, I mean, where my mind goes is like, you have more to compare against when it's a third, like the first time you have nothing to compare against the second time you're only comparing against one, one birth, which is like, okay, it's different this time. But when you have a third, especially like if the first two were one way, now the third is different. It's like something's wrong yeah, this time. That is but true. What else that could it could be? be? It's very hard to, to pinpoint. What I do know is that a birth is a tremendous trauma to the body. I don't remember who was mentioning to me that how OBG was telling her that if she could have looked into her own body and see what happens with every birth, with probably be very, very scary to give birth again. So it's a tremendous trauma physically to the body. Women really put their life kind of at risk by every birth they're giving. Because you're, you're not just talking about hormones. You can, there are so many things that can go wrong. Sure. At the time of birth. Until all those organs and from the the uterus and the cervix and the and the you know the stitches and so many other things high blood pressure can be so common in pregnancy and diabetes can be so common so you see that it can really take a toll on the body heart i remember when i gave birth to my third out of the moon my heart rate was so high in pregnancy they connected me to a machine at home like for 24 or 48 hours, I don't remember, to see if there is something wrong with my heart. Everything was good. It was just the pregnancy that did it. Wow. Why? I don't know. Thank God, postpartum disorders I didn't have, but the heart rate, and then after maybe it was the same birth or another one, that all of a sudden I do not have high blood pressure. My blood pressure went up sky high after birth. And they kept me, I think, another day just for observation till it was stabilized. That's when they were letting me. So you see what the body is going through, what the trauma is. It's not a simple thing to give birth to a child. So it's very hard to pinpoint what is it exactly. But we do have to focus on that you asked if there is different, there are risk factors, right? So the risk factors can be family history. Okay. The risk factors can be personal history with PMS, which is premenstrual, how they act when they get their period. Risk factors can be what is happening psychologically with their environment, 
support system, marriage, are they poor and they, which is a big stress? What do they have issues with their children? What is really happening with those family dynamics? Because it's more to deal with. Right. And so, more on the mind, ultimately. More on the mind. Yeah. So those can be all risk factors. Like I always tell women, don't get divorced, don't change a job, don't move a house, don't buy a house. There are many things don't do when you're pregnant or postpartum. Wait. That's very interesting. I, we were actually planning on moving like sometime in the next couple of months. I'm definitely going to keep this one in mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, so just, just push it off a little bit, you yeah. know? Um, that's that's very don't interesting. Overwar. You're saying like big changes. Don't make big changes. Don't in life. make big changes. Keep it steady. Because a big change, which normally let's say would not overwhelm you, can be very overwhelming now. So don't add on. It's enough the trauma that the body is going through, and the hormonal shifts. I mean, if you're talking just about estrogen and progesterone, they drop so much within 24 hours which is, boom, it's a seesaw. So that can be affected, again, yeah. to one more than to the other. So it's important to keep life very calm, as calm as possible. And life stresses do not leave us alone. And a certain amount of stress is even healthy. Sure. You know, I call it more pressure than stress. You know, when we have deadlines to reach, and, uh, it enables you almost to do things. It's like, yeah, the yeah. adrenaline is getting hiked up. A certain amount of stress, pressure is a healthy thing. Great. And those are going to exist with every birth and with becoming parents. The dynamics are changing. And there are so many things that let's not add on. That's It's enough. <laughs> it's, it's enough. So it's all very... It's, I mean, it's, it's all very interesting um, because, like, you don't think about, at least for me, like, I don't think about these things as being postpartum or perinatal disorder inducing, right? So to me, it's like, I, you know, I was talking to my wife and we, we need to move, right? We've lived in the same place for a few years. We're having a kid. Like, we need a, we need a bigger place. And I was like, you know, what? I don't want, I don't think she's going to want to move the month of. No. Right. Because, you know, there's boxes. to be. Even if I handled the entire move, it's like, you know, she, if she got back from the hospital and there were boxes still unpacked, yeah. like she doesn't want to come home to that. So, no. you know, I would do it a few months beforehand. And it, to me, it was like, OK, so that, you know, it's it's not about the change as much as it's just about like the logistical things of moving that like, OK, I'm going to hold off on that. But thinking about it from this perspective of like, how's that impact mental health and their environment and stability, and therefore, like their ability to to avoid perinatal disorders when when the child is born, is is actually, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's eye opening to some degree because it, it puts a different lens on everything. It makes you know? sense, but it does yeah. not take away what you said. The logistic stuff is also it can For be sure. just overwhelming. Absolutely, I mean, it was, it's not and a to that point. Like I can help, I can take care of the logistics, but what I can't take care of is just I can't eliminate postpartum disorders. You know, like that stuff that. That, like you said, is hormonal, and that I I don't have control over to, to that same degree. What I can do is is avoid things that, like you're saying, are, are, are change of environments or stresses, or things like that. Um, so you either do it early enough, or you wait. Or, yeah, or you wait till afterwards. 
That makes yeah, a lot. Um, makes a lot of sense. That's my recommendation. I'm, I'm curious. You you mentioned you've been doing this for 16 years. Yeah, over. Yeah, over 16 years. Yeah. How did, like, what what caused you to start this organization? And this is just oh, on a personal note. I'd love to know. That's my, that's my story. I repeated a million times already. So I worked for the Board of Ed. Okay. And I did school counseling just a little bit because I have always been in business. And just one story after the other. Kids were blamed, they were shamed, they were punished. And I, myself, I had close to zero awareness, for real. This was 20 years ago, close to zero awareness. No clue. And that one story in particular shook me up. I was pregnant then and I was vulnerable. And that's when I kind of took upon myself that if I will be fine till a year after birth, I'll do something. But I really didn't know what I'm putting myself into. Probably I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I, I for sure wouldn't do it. Not probably. Hindsight's if I would 20, know. yeah. Yeah, if I would know, I was just very idealistic. And I said, I'll do something. And then like the whole world of non-for-profit is, is not my speed, really. But the, the side of helping people and bringing awareness and, and feeling like I have over 40,000 families on my data as of today, that feels good. That part feels good. But all around, no, I would never do it. But, you know, so when Sparks opened up, no one even spoke about it. Today you already see in different magazines, you see articles, you see yeah. write-ups. Back then, zero. And I'm looking back at myself as I used to teach, you know, in my early in my early years. And I taught 12th grade and seminary. And, and I remember students coming to me with issues they had after having a child. And I helped them psychologically how to see it, how to adjust to changes. I had no clue that this is something real. I had no idea. And the same said to me Dr. Tversky. He said that he's taking so much on on Sparks he said because he's doing Chuvata Mishkal, which means he's paying off for what he misdiagnosed. He said he, he so many women as a psychiatrist and as a therapist, at those times the psychiatrist used to do both. Yep. And he said he, he was misdiagnosing because he didn't know. And he said, I have to make up for that. That's insane. So you brought up that that you started this because students were coming being blamed. So you and I, I want to clarify that point. You're saying that their parents would blame them. No, or, even the school. Or the school would blame them yeah, for Yeah, the child couldn't focus. I remember in particular this cute first grader. She would the principal told me we can't deal with her. She's something is we can't keep her in class. She's disturbing. She's acting out. She's impossible. And then when she came into my office, and she was just a first grader, was time, you know, was the age for play therapy. And I had a sandbox, and I had a dollhouse and all that. And I just started doing play therapy with her. And I said, how about we play? And I've been mirroring back to what I saw. And she was burying her, the baby they had. She separated her parents. She put them on two different floors. And then when we called the parents in, just the father showed up. 
And when I started talking to him, he burst out crying like a little kid. And he said he's getting divorced. His wife lost her sanity. And you know what? They ended up getting divorced, which is sad. It was already, people don't realize how important early intervention is. Yeah. Was very deep into the muds and was very little awareness back then. And the marriage ended up going gaga. But the child was acting it out. And that's what I mean when I say blamed and punished. Wow. Because how in the world was this this child's fault? And it's not. That was something I always am sensitive, you know, probably in general to human beings, but not just and to animals too, but to but to kids. Kids is a very soft spot in my heart. And seeing such young kids struggling and really suffering and being punished. It's nothing they did wrong. And the stigma is still so great. You wouldn't believe it. It's incredible. Still. Like the school, it's the school's job. It's like to, to some degree to, to help these kids have better lives, regardless of their, their familial situation. And obviously, you always want to have the parents in mind and do what the parents, you know, like you don't want to educate a kid in the way that a parent would not approve. Yeah. But also like, to blame the kid, that's 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 hard. Meaning blame. I don't meaning not understanding and saying the child is acting out. Yeah. On the other hand, the school did the right thing, sending them was me or some, you know, if it, whoever the school psychologist is, to send in and see what is going on with the child. So I don't know how it works these days, but back then we did not need consent of parents for a school psychologist to see them. Because a minor cannot see a therapist without right. consent. But in the school environment, and when it was from the Board of Ed, we did not need consent. So, Interesting. yeah. So back in those days, we have been seeing a lot of kids that were troubled, which the parents wouldn't necessarily agree for them to be seen. So that was a positive thing. I was in that particular school twice a week. And my list was <laughs> so, so big from first grade till eighth graders and, and seeing a lot of kids that are troubled. So, and I have seen too many of them that the result was what's going on at home, particularly in perinatal. So. You know, you're, you're, you're bringing up some very real stories and I think it's important, at least for me, to like to hear the realities of these these stories of like what actually happens. So I want to ask, like, using real life stories and real life um, testimonies or, or examples, can you give me like, what's the spectrum? Like, what's the 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 best case scenario and like what's what's the worst case scenario? Oh, you really want to be? I really want to. Yeah, I want to know. You really right? want to and, know? And and I don't want like. When I'm asking this, I'm not asking like just the symptoms. Like I want to know what you've seen. Like what's the worst case you've seen, and what's the the, the smallest? You case really want to know the worst? I do. Okay, so the worst is women running out naked from the house completely. I've seen it plenty of times. So just like a complete loss of complete mental manic, sanity. a lot worse than just a regular person becoming manic. 
postpartum psychosis is by far worse in that sense. I have seen a woman throwing actually her baby down from the second floor. I didn't see it, but it happened. Like legitimately trying to kill her baby. Yeah, just because she became manic and she thought she's whatever doing with a child. I don't want to give details in case someone knows sure. who it is. Um, a mom drowning her child, actually drowning the child, um, throwing the baby out from the window. The baby died and the mom killed herself right after she threw her baby down. This is, we're not even talking about stories on social media that I did not deal with, like the, like the nurse in Massachusetts somewhere, that she was the most giving. She was a nurse in labor and delivery, and she killed her kids. And she was the neighbors, the husband, they said she was the most giving mother, the nicest one. Her life was about her children the way she dressed them, taking them to the park. The whole neighborhood knew she is the example of the mom. So there are a lot of horrible, horrible stories. I remember in one of the cases that the woman ran out completely naked on the street. When the husband called, his first question was, how is he going to be able to marry off his kids? He didn't even understand what's going on with his wife. He said, what is she doing? Yeah. Neighbors, people So, how am I going to ever marry off my kids? Wow. So, not thinking about them. I'm, I'm very curious. Like, take that situation. Mom runs out. She, she clearly has a, a complete loss of self-control, goes manic. Of sanity. Of sanity. Yeah. What's a conversation with that woman after that like? So that's a very that's very challenging because what happens is, so of course they have to get into a hospital, right? But now when they gain some kind of sanity back, they're very embarrassed. Sure. They remember. And then we have a whole, in, let's say she's already out of the hospital, okay? So that's... Let's and, say she's completely healed, right? She's perfectly sane. A lot of PTSD. A lot of PTSD, which is happening at that point. And, and, and to deal with that is not simple. Yeah. I had this young woman. She was almost getting her master's. Talented. Had her first child. Came home. Gave birth in one of the hospitals in Manhattan. Came home two days after birth. She started running around in the house, didn't go outside naked, but started running around in the house like completely lost sanity. When they got her into the hospital, she unfortunately took off part of her, you know, of her clothes and started running away on, around on the psychiatric floor, bleeding all over. She was second day after birth. She just came home. A few hours later, she was taken back. And the, whole, and the husband was so shocked. That was a young couple. They were married a year or so. He barely knew her. <laughs> you know, and here he's right. He wanted to divorce, but he didn't. At that time, you know, was early intervention. We gave him a lot of therapy. Yeah. She's doing well. She had a second child already since. 
and she was on um, some level of medication before to avoid a psychotic episode. And she was very closely watched. Is it likely if somebody has an episode like that, especially yeah. if they have PTSD, you mentioned beforehand that if somebody has had trauma like that or mental health, that they're more likely for, for uh, perinatal uh, disorders to, to be triggered, so to speak. Yeah, it's more a so, risk factor, yeah. So if somebody has a perinatal disorder, is it more likely that the next birth they're going to have one as well? Yeah, in general, not just psychologically, hormonally. Yeah. Each time they had it, they're at higher risk. So is it safe for somebody like that to have a child I again? I do not make this decision <laughs> for that. <laughs> Believe me. I right. run around preaching about birth control and about, you know, not going into a pregnancy, you know, not jumping into it and sure. being ready and being prepared and know that this is what you want to do. I'm like, everyone that knows me knows that's my second name. Like, like all preaching about it, because in my personal belief, in general, let's not even talk about struggling. My personal belief is that not every woman, and I personally, again, I'm not basing this on, on actual statistics, but just from what I have seen and from what I believe, that women are not meant to have kids every year. Yeah. It's just their body, their mind, their, it, it's not meant for it. So I just don't believe in it. And I'm, so I'm the, I'm the first person to, to tell you that I give them so many warnings sure. and say it's not about the amount of kids you have. It's about the quality. It's not about the quantity. And you have to make sure and go to a very good reproductive psychiatrist and maybe even go to two. But I had recently a very horrible story talking about the repro. Of course, I cannot generalize, but, sure. but she's a top doctor. Like, I, I just don't understand it. So this was this young woman. She got married, not pregnant, and got a breakdown, a mental breakdown. Has a very good job, happy with her husband, I don't know, family history, what triggered it? She was hospitalized and she was stabilized and she got out and she was even able to wean off medication and lead a normal life. For some reason, was an emergency for them to get pregnant, an emergency. So they went to this supposedly top doctor, a reproductive psychiatrist, and she said, yeah, just we're going to keep an eye. It's safe. You don't want to hear the rest. <clears throat> you don't want to hear the rest. She did have this child. Of course, she's a risk. She, she had a breakdown without being pregnant. So, of course, it's a risk factor. Now, I'm not going to be the one to tell this woman, don't, don't have ever have a kid. For sure. But you're rushing? Like, just a couple of months later, you're already going into a pregnancy? It's a very, the least bit to say, it's a very, very, very difficult case. You know, I, I think you, you're, you're aware. I've been married for a little, a little over four years, yes. right? I'm a very big proponent of plan it, do it right. Make sure you have everything, like all your ducks in a row, whether it's your finances, your relationship, your communication, your living situation, 
your like mental preparedness. Like I'm a big proponent of that, but I also I have plenty of family members who who don't, and I, I can definitely see that those both sides. Um, and I could also see why you know people people want to have a child. Like it's it's one of the natural parts mother of life. Mother nature. Yeah, it's mother nature to want to to have that. Yes, yeah, so Israel. Uh, I'm not telling everyone it. wait four years. Hundred percent. But between that to running into a pregnancy a day and a half after you married, yeah, or not even idea. a day and a half, you know, they call it a chuppa child. <laughs> like, <laughs> Is that a term? Yeah, it's a term. Like, hello. You so, know? so these are we've been talking about like the the worst case scenarios. What's like, I would say the maybe the average case scenario. Like I'm, I'm assuming that. Yes, yeah, so I only you know, we gave don't you see... the. I gave you the extreme. A hundred percent. And no, and I wanted to. I want to hear the extreme, but I also want to know. So, like, what's the average? What's the average? And also, what's like the least, the smallest case? You know. So, if you take away psychosis, right, then you would say from mild to moderate to severe, not psychosis sure. yet, but those three levels, right? So mild would be where a woman, it's not baby blues, it is a form of postpartum, a postpartum situation that needs more intervention, but it does not have to be medication. She could get away without it. Okay. Okay, because so more an like anxiety more than the normal, overwhelmed, feeling kind of very low, but mild. So with the right support, with the right nutrition, the right nutrition plays a very big role. Nutrition, support system, husband support, which is major, um, not being overwhelmed, giving her some time for herself. Tea time is me time. You know, bringing maybe some women... You know, when they do something out of just taking care of the baby, everyone has different, giving her a good sense of self. She doesn't have to run and lose all her weight right away, you know, which is totally not okay. You know, take your time, eat healthy, yeah, because it's important, but you don't have to fit into your size for dress because because the bris is coming a week after birth. It's like all those dynamics is enough. Sometimes even alternative health, like a good massage to get circulation going, reflexology, Chinese acupuncture helps some women, different methods that can help. Then you have moderate, which is already more, you know, her. We always look in the intake, we look at a few things, right? We took at the function, we look at the behavior, the functioning level, the feelings and the thoughts. Those are the three okay. things we're gonna look at. And if you go into each one of them, they're gonna include everything. Because function behavior is now you have women that their function can be nice, good, but they're living in their thoughts and their thoughts can be very intrusive. They're not psychotic, but they can be very intrusive and very, very scary. Sure. And they need to be addressed. Or feelings, or all of them. So two out of one out of three, two out of three, three out of three, right? So so we're gonna observe it. And that's why an intake is a very personal thing. We also gonna send for a list of blood work to take because you have risk factors also physically. 
thyroid can go off by many new moms that are after birth. And thyroid is not always so accurate, so we're going to repeat a complete panel. We'll repeat it twice. There can be a gluten sensitivity, even if they're not celiac, which can trigger strabi in pregnancy, can trigger certain enzymes, can trigger. So we have been investing a lot of effort and money to get all that training so we could send for blood work and rule out other things that are going that could be going on. Is there a, with the blood testing, are you able to see the hormonal levels that no, ultimately? They're not really no. going to be accurate. Okay. No, they're not, but we will. Because if there's a hormonal vitamin. imbalance, like it would be great if we could just do so a test and be like, all right, these saliva. are the ones that are off, off balance and here's how we fix it. Yeah. There is a good saliva test for hormone imbalance, by the way. Interesting. Yeah, there is a good saliva. So it's an alternative healing method, but I know women, it really helped them a lot. So that Very is available. I've been recommending it to where I feel it's suitable. So, yeah, so mild, moderate, severe. And it's not psychotic yet, but with severe, it can be almost a psychosis. Almost. So what would be like an exa- I guess an example of severe? Severe is no sleep, mind is racing, they're not manic yet, but that's where they're heading if it's not going to be taken care of. Major depression, major anxiety. Um, you know, they can a lot of them complain they can't eat or they eat too much. They have no desire for anything. Um, they can bond with baby, which is one big of one. the big symptoms. Yeah. yeah, even in in milder cases. So, yeah. So that's with, um, with the um. Sorry, I didn't mean to to interject. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can talk just about this alone for, for a day. For, uh, yeah, hundred yeah. so percent. We're just touching. I, you know, I want to know because obviously the the hard ones, the harsh cases, like the severe and the and the extreme cases, the manic cases, like those are very easy to see. Like you, you can spot them a mile away. She's running around the neighborhood without her clothes on. Like, yeah, when there's it, something it, wrong with her. When it's already happening, right? 100%. but a day before, she can be in the supermarket and no Perfectly one is going to know anything. That's no, it's going to. She's probably going to have some pre-symptoms that are cooking, but no one is going to know. Women in in general are very good in hiding. Yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> husband says that. that sometimes he has women that come into the business to him. And they give him a letter to give to me, which is a letter of being thankful, appreciation. And he comes home sometimes and he says, what? She was already by me as a caller, shopping her, her silver. Like something was off with this woman. He says, I would never believe it. Yep. Women are very, they really know how to hide. Also, what, is, what does like a person with P- PPD look like? It could, just, it could be anyone. Right? It's like one of those oh, things you you'll never, never know. know. No, um, but I do want to know the – because you, you mentioned baby blues before, right? And you mentioned how mild is not baby blues. No. So how do you, I guess, differentiate between mild and, and baby blues? And like what, what, what would you define as baby it's blues? It's a good question because baby blues, when it's really very mild and it's only lasts for about two weeks – and when I say very mild, this woman can be very sensitive for little things. She wanted this for lunch. She, got, she wanted a Caesar salad, but you got her a Greek salad. So she's all upset. 
And you're just thinking, what, my wife is upset now. I got her a Caesar, not a Greek. Really? Is that such a big deal? Why you got her Trina and not Homos? Like, is that, she's going to cry easier. She's going to have a hard time sleeping. Not, you know, not sleeping at all is another story, but sure. just a harder time sleeping and just in general being very sensitive. It's funny because I know people who who haven't had a child who they might have baby blues, you know? Yeah, because <laughs> they, they're, they're always like that. <laughs> Either they're always like that or they're hormonal, you know? Before yeah. a period, watch out, you know? Like, For sure. Or the, when they ovulate, you know, again, hormones. So, so it's going to be like really mild and it's not going to last for long. But when it's already mild postpartum, it's less for more than two weeks and it will... It will be it will be more than that, just mild. It's gonna be milder, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You're gonna see more periods of crying. You can see like having a hard time bonding with a baby to a very low extent. Otherwise I wouldn't call it mild. Just oh I'm even I love the baby, but I'm afraid to take care of the baby. I feel overwhelmed. Like, and then sometimes it will need medication and sometimes not. And that's why it's really not a one-size-fits-all. I cannot say, okay, every mild case does not need med- No. Right. Every mild case does need. No. It's really very individual. You don't just put in washing machine, dryer, everything on the same cycle. It's not the way this works. Sure. And that's why taking a good intake is very, very important. Let's say... One of our questions in the intake, what made you call today? Which tells us a lot. Yeah. And you use the word today specifically, I'm sure. Yeah, I use Because tomorrow so, might be different and yesterday might exactly. be different, but today, yeah. So what made you think of calling? An intake has very specifics. Yeah. It's behavior, it's thoughts, it's feelings, it's history. It covers everything. But it's really not done in a way of an interview because no woman wants to feel interviewed. Okay, let's let's go. Question number yeah. one. Question number two. It's done in a form of conversation. But in that conversation, I want to know what made her call today. Yeah. Because that's gonna that's gonna tell me a lot. What is like if if me being the husband in this case, right? And and I do want to talk about the partner's role in all of this. Um, but before I do, I, I, I do want to ask, like, what is the first signs? You know, if I'm if I'm keeping an eye out for my wife, you know, and, and or even if, if you're a, a, a woman who's about to give birth and you, you want to keep out an eye, an eye out for yourself, right? Like you mentioned the difference between mild and, and baby blues. There's a big, the time difference, right? Is it just like, time if it lasts symptoms. more than two weeks, then I know. Obviously, again, if it's like, if it's extreme, it's very easy to spot that. But, no, but for like the mild stuff, is it just time? Not, if it's like the first signs, you'll know. You'll know. You'll know. You'll know. Okay. Because if you have a good relationship and you know your wife, what is very important that women should feel safe to share with their husbands. So even if they have like a crazy thought that is entering their mind, they should feel safe to share it. Because if they're going to be afraid that they're going to be judged or not understood or blamed, they're not going to share. And then when a good relationship is there, a husband is recognizing if his wife is absent-minded, if she's into her thoughts, if she's happy, if she's present, 
she's here, if she's not here. There are so many things that you see. You see a change in her sleep, her change in her eating, her change in her conversation, in her behavior. And But the, the openness is very important. So if you know your wife, if you, you know you're your wife and she feels safe, and for for a wife, if she knows herself, if she knows herself, degree. and and if she feels safe that something which is not her regular is showing up, she can share that. You know what? The woman is the one that gives birth, but it's a joint effort. I always say the husband is not a sperm donor. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So let's let's talk about that. The the partner's role in all of this. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's there's a few aspects to this. There's really yeah. like, number one, what, what people should, how people should respond and how pe- people should be supportive. But I think there's also like how people tend to do it. Right. Like what what's the realities of what like what often ends up happening? Because I can imagine, you know, I've, I've actually spoken to, to a friend who whose wife dealt with, with PPD. And I don't know their whole situation. I, I don't know much. But I know that at one point, he's like, he, he basically said that she would blame him for yeah, her that's, problems. that's common. Right? And I've thought about it. And I was like, I don't know if 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 my wife was full-on manic. God and forbid. God forbid, obviously. And, you know, and I hope I never have to deal with this. Right? Um, and she's blaming me for, for this for everything, like I'm sure I would not be, I would not have an easy time dealing with that no, as, on wouldn't. a personal level. Any individual would have a challenge at that point if they're Absolutely. being attacked like Absolutely. constantly to be supportive. So Absolutely. So but the same is Israel when a child, God forbid, gets manic or has mental issues and they start being so angry at their parents. Absolutely. And it's the same thing. And here, let's say every husband makes mistakes and every parents make mistakes make mistakes, but that doesn't mean unless they're abusive, right? Sure. That they should be blamed. And what what do parents do in this situation? They totally separate themselves from the child that's right now not well. So the same is to the husband. Just even the awareness of understanding that this wife has she's enraged now. She's angry. And that's not her, it's, though. It's not her. She's yeah. not acting herself. That, of course, can help. But I'm a very big fan in the husband getting also support because he's also human. And he can have it very hard. And you know what? He can have it hard even if his wife is okay. He can have it hard. For sure. Just you for know, him becoming a, par- a father. Absolutely. I, I, I've noticed. I mean, like, we, we started telling people that, that uh, we're having a child, you know, a couple months ago, a few months ago, and it's no big secret, but you know, um, it's you obviously you want to wait until it's the right time to tell people. But what I've noticed is when whenever I tell somebody that we're having a child, the first question is how's how's my my wife feeling, right? How's she feeling? How's the baby? Do, like how's everything going? And it's always like, okay, things are good. Thank God, everything's healthy. My wife's a champ. She's doing great. I can I think there was one or two people out of probably the hundred people who know who asked me how I'm doing. Yeah. Right. And that's like I think it's often overlooked. And I and I'll 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 put it on here just for I'm doing fine. Don't worry. <laughs> right? But it is like it I think people forget that that the husband's going through it too and it, it it's like you said he's not just a sperm donor. Like right. there's even if the 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 
the wife is doing fine. Like, what if I wasn't? Who would ask me? Who would like? Who would know? You know. Um, so I I do want to know like so so you separate yourself from yeah. from that in those yeah. extreme cases. Yes. What about? You really have to separate yourself, and the husband for sure has to be in therapy and in, and get his support system. Otherwise, how can he survive this? Yeah. It's so painful. So, what is? Especially if he knows the truth that he's not here to be blamed. Yeah. Unless he's a narcissist and he's always right. But um, he's never to be blamed. He's never <laughs> to be blamed. So he's borderline. But we're talking about a healthy person. They 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 should know the truth. Yeah. And if they feel like I'm being blamed, I've always been doing my best. Everyone makes mistakes. So, so what's it's the painful? What's the appropriate like? What's the appropriate? Um, response in in the average it's called the mild cases the cases that are not like obviously if 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 the person's full-on manic it's it's significantly more nuanced obviously you need to get help um and separation things like that but like in the average mild case like what can they do i think healthy communication reaching out for help for sure just to be guided and healthy communication is the key and both of them to understand that as parents, the whole dynamics of marriage is going to shift. Once you're a parent, you're a parent for life. Sure. You cannot separate from that ever. It's just not something that you can say, okay, I was a parent till next week, Thursday, and then I'm off. Well, I mean, some people do put their kids up for adoption who can't, you know. Yeah, but, but yeah, we're talking For the, the average, average parent, yeah. yeah, that's not an option. It's not. A, and you think the ones that put up for adoption have it easy? The guilt that can come after that, oh, the sure. regrets. The, the amount of times I, uh, you hear like, you know, I, I wanted to find my child or the child wanted to find their parent. Yeah, I mean, it can absolutely. be very, very tough. So it's also not the easy way out, but sometimes it's needed, right? But it can be a huge struggle. Even if the child is in foster care, it can be a huge struggle. But the average parent, it's just the understanding that, yeah, once you're a parent, you signed up your life for good. And the relationship will change. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have a good marriage. You're going to have a very good marriage. And you're going to intentionally make time for your marital life. Even a, a date night, that this is still the time between you and your wife, not right in the beginning. It's also kind of overcoming a certain, some people are more jealous than other, na others, naturally. And all of a sudden here, there's this little newborn that's, that's needy, very needy, 24-7. And, and all they're of not a getting sudden, the attention. And, and, and they're not getting yeah. the attention. And here is this new mom. She's very overwhelmed with her newborn. Without having PPD, she's overwhelmed. Just to give the child the care, to catch on some sleep, to have a little time for herself. And here sometimes comes a second baby, which is the husband. He's needy too. Sure. And he wants. And she's not available. And that can cause for the husband to get postpartum for husbands. There is a book on it. Because it's obviously psychologically. They can also get postpartum for husbands because of the, 
you know, they feel all of a sudden the, the financial pressure. They have to support a child. They feel the authority as the father. What does fatherhood really mean to them? And it scares them off. They thought they're ready, but now they're not. It can be so many different psychological aspects. And I say for everything in life, including parenthood, communication is the key. Because really you can say everything. It just depends on how you say it. You can express feelings. I mean, sure. if there is no blame and, and there is no expectations, but just sharing how it feels as parents, taking the time of having a little time to play a game together, to play a card game of emotions and feelings. You can get them today online and, and let is there, each is other... Is there a game you'd recommend? I have to look it up. I used to do it all the time. Send me the link. We'll, we'll try to throw it in the podcast uh, description somewhere for yeah. everybody. So so all those, all those things can be helpful, but I think in general in marriage and in life in general, communication is always the key and, and awareness, understanding. But you ask me about the husband's support. So if we take a pie and we would call it a postpartum pie, a pie. Yeah. You divide it to pieces. Nutrition is a piece. Environment, sleep, all those are very important pieces. But the husband, I would give 60% of this pie. Because even wow. when the wife is not doing well, how she's going to heal, at what pace she's going to heal, and how she's going to be doing, you have no idea how much the husband plays a role. Because well, she feels she's not alone. Yeah, it's their partner. It's their partner. And it is a mutual child. And then when when some men tell me, last two days, days, there is more awareness. But when they say, oh, my wife is just crazy. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? She's crazy. Just because she's the one that was pregnant and went through all this trauma and gave birth. The, and now with the nursing, she is nursing. She's not. Again, different hormones are changing. Like, yeah. how can you even say that? That being said, is postpartum disorders or perinatal disorders more common for single moms because of that or, or people without the father in the picture? We usually deal mostly with marital women, but it makes sense to me. Because yes. if it's if the sixty percent, yeah. and if you sixty percent, like you're saying, if sixty percent goes to the to the significant other, the spouse, the um, the partner, like what? It, so they're missing sixty percent. Yes and no, and I'll explain you why. Because if a woman, let's say a woman is single and she got pregnant single, and that was her plan to begin with then we cannot give those 60% to the husband, but we'll give it to a support system. Got it. Because she knew she's not going to have a husband. In she's not going to have a father in the picture. But if you're going to talk about a couple that got married, she got pregnant, and they separated or got divorced during pregnancy, which happens, or the marriage is really very bad, and they will do it after birth or... Or they're not going to do it and they're going to live in misery, whatever the situation is, then I would say not having a husband support is really crucial. But if someone planned her pregnancy like that, then. Yeah. So 
so you're mostly dealing with with couples. Yeah. And you know when uh when the husband finds out that their spouse has perinatal disorder, like what's their reaction like? And and uh, you know like is that a conversation you have with them or is that a conversation the wife has with them? Um, so many times we're going to have and we're going to ask the wife, the woman, if her husband is willing to speak to someone because we feel it's important, even if the woman is in therapy, right? So the therapist is usually going to try at least to have at least one, two sessions with the husband. Yeah. So he gets the dynamics. He's involved in the plan of action. He knows what's going on. So some men... If they're not educated at all, they're very, very shy. To know when it's pleasant. Because it's not pleasant to find out that anything is wrong with us on sure. any level. It's a challenge. So it's never going to be fun, and we don't expect it to be fun. But, you know, as more as the husband is aware and he understands, and he understands that his wife is not to blame here. And that he's not like to blame any, also. And he's not to blame. Right. So it's a, it's a it's a mutual it's a challenge to both of them, and we can hope and pray and take all the actions needed for them to have a speed recovery. I think it's it's a it's kind of like human nature. People want to have something or someone to blame, right? Like yeah, it's, in, in, in because general. then they can point at something. So oh, forget it. When I used to do mortgages, I remember the real estate broker blamed me of course if the if the if the mortgage wasn't signed off when they wanted it yep. i was looking to blame the bank representative like everyone was a chain the home inspector the blaming the writer the, the real estate <laughs> like agent everyone yeah. was looking to say 100%. like why couldn't you underwrite why can't you get it ready this is urgent to close Absolutely. it's just mother nature so i think to some degree like you know I can I can understand a husband who hears it having a need like a psychological need like oh well it must be the doctor or the or the you know my wife's fault or the the per whatever the nurse's fault whoever right like the, to try to blame it on someone but I think um I, I get like I get that I get that concept that desire but is it is it like are people seriously blaming? their spouses for this is that like a Some serious do. conversation or Some is that do. or is that just like uh out of need but they know that like is there an is, is there education that needs to happen there that's with for sure. most of these people that education needs to happen that's for sure yeah. if they're not educated now some you're always going to have a percent that are going to sincerely blame but is it the majority no with 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 education and and understanding they're going to say wow i didn't know that but you know what you are right every husband should educate himself before birth that's what we're doing right now <laughs> yes you you're gonna 100%. be a master well i i hope i don't have to deal with this no you know? no, no but I, they say I truly um, hope. prepare should, for the worst should, but yeah, hope for the best right exactly it's uh, yeah you shouldn't don't get scared. It's just about having knowledge. Yeah. Like in pregnancy, I always wanted to know my risk factors. 100%. Also physically. Never wanted to be a Batiana and bury my head in the ground. Like I wanted to know what can be a... Does that mean I'll have it? But that's me. 
some women don't want to know because if they're going to know, they're already going to imagine they have yeah. it. And then they're going to have the anxiety. And then they're going to have and the anxiety. And then it's more likely for the for PPD to happen because they have anxiety already. They already 100%. have an anxiety. So even if it's not hormonal, it's going to be pure psychological. Yeah. So, And also, I always say this sentence, and I'm going to say it again probably for the few thousand times in my life. When the ocean is wavy, a lot of garbage comes out. So all of a sudden, this is not okay. This is not okay. A lot of resentments. Things just when it rains, it pours. Come kind of to the yeah. yeah. When it rains, it pours. Same. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I want to I want to shift gears for a moment. Sure. If that's all right. Um, I mean, it's not not a total shift, but we've been we've been talking about the partner in the form of support, right? And and them being there for the for the spouse. But I want to know. You you brought up before like this idea of male PPD. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not hormonal in no. the same sense. Obviously, it's right. Not. So it's not hormonal at all. It's nothing well, shifted I mean, in his hormones. I, I think there there have been studies. I've actually read this that when a a new a person's wife is or, or partner is pregnant, they get like I guess certain not hormones per se, but they like become a little bit more soft and a little bit more caring. Like there's certain things that make them a little bit more emotional. But okay. I don't think it's like. It's not a, 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 an ocean, like you were saying. It's not waves crashing. Yeah, it's and, not and in the same sense hormones as, as a woman. Right. Uh, no, exactly. There's no comparison. Yeah. But I want to know, like, what – so what is male PPD? And, and like, how does, that, how does that happen? How does that manifest? So I think we touched on it in, yeah. in this conversation already. Man's PPD is going to be psychological of either feeling too much responsibility, being overwhelmed, not having his wife to himself, being very threatened from the relationship, not knowing how to deal with a newborn, can also be a lack of sleep, he's helping out with feeding, and, and not knowing how to bond with a baby as a father, just this little fragile new human being here what am i doing how am i dealing with it how am i being a father the fear of not achieving the expectations that a father can feel is being now expected of him sure to be a good provider to be a good to be a good father because a father plays a major role in a child's life it's the sense of authority it's the sense of trust, the sense of idealism. You know, in graphology, we divide, right? Um, I, I am a graphologist. I don't practice it really, but I love it. What but does I, a graphologist do? It's handwriting analysis. It's, oh, very interesting. It's yeah. It's very, very interesting. So you have lower zone, upper zone, right and left, right? So, so upper zone is father which is, shows beliefs, idealism, authority, God. All those is the upper zone. Lower zone is mother, earth, intimacy, finances. You see it all in the lower zone. The finances. letter G, yeah. How you relate to finances. G, G, the lower case of the G, right? In the L, in the T, the, the upper cases of letters. You see relationship between the person that I would do the analysis to their father. So father is the upper zone 
and it plays a tremendous role in a child's life. And that can be a very big responsibility. It can be scary. How do I fulfill my role as a father? Now, also as a husband, what is really a good husband doing? A good husband wants naturally to provide his wife with love and safety. Yeah. That's naturally what a good husband does. So now the same he wants to provide to his child. He wants his child to feel safe and loved from the father figure. And it can be like huge. So I can understand every shift a male would have. And at the same time, he does not want to stop taking care of his wife as a good husband. Like I always, I was thinking about it. Why is the world saying a daughter is yours for life? A son is yours till he gets a wife. <laughs> you ever heard this? I've never heard that. That's a great <laughs> like, line. It's such a famous. I was thinking, why is that? I don't feel like I lost my sons because they have wives. But, but I it, can actually see that. And but I understand I it. Marriage, for sure. I, I understand it. Now I have a daughter, right? It's yeah. getting married in less than two weeks. I understand it. Why? Because a good husband wants to provide his wife with love and safety and security. Now his wife is naturally, if she has a good relationship with her family, with her parents, she's going to want to continue very much being part of that. Now, as a good husband, he wants to give this to his wife. Now, hopefully in a good relationship, it reciprocates to at least to a certain level. She wants to give back to him too. Yeah, but it's not the same thing that she's but, giving back. But it's not going to be the same probably, no. It's not. I mean, it's love, but it's not necessarily safety. It's not the right? same. It's, no, not in safety. It's not a, a protection not in, kind of thing, yeah. No, but she's going to want to give back to, to be you know, in in a healthy and good relationship with sure. his family too and take part and just be a nice daughter-in-law and sure. be a nice, you know, but it's not the same. I was just thinking about it and that's why the world says it, that your daughter is yours for life. You're Oh, when I was marrying off my first son, I heard it from so many people and was so scary to even hear it. Because I I have a strong bond with my son, and just hearing, till he gets a wife. Yeah. Okay. Now it's not, and that's not it's not reality in my case, but but I get it, and that's where I'm going back to a husband providing safety, security, and love. And then on top of that, woo! Hey Israel, you also have a child to provide all that. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. For sure. So here we come to the part, why is it so important to to have the awareness for the male, right? For the fathers, for the husbands, and get support and also get their own time. Do something for yourself that's fun for you. Take off some time that's for you. So it's not necessarily going to be going to a spa, but maybe you want to go to a sport game. Yeah, or the, for Maybe. me, it's the shooting range probably. <laughs> the shooting, right? Right? You know. do something that's <laughs> going to sure. make you happy and you're going to feel, okay, I recharged. Hang out with the boys, Hang you know, those things. Hang out with the boys, yeah. yeah. Get some me time. That's a big one. 
I think also there's a there's a natural desire, like the moment to have a child, to be like, I got to be there for my wife. Like I, I finish work, I got to I got to go home. I got to be there for her because you know we have this kid to deal with. So I like this idea of like take the time for both. Like both the wife should take you know right. Both partners should take time and you know and they should perhaps not just take time alone, but take time together outside of the child. Exactly. Right. That's like, what I get a babysitter. Before. Get a sitter, make a date night, get specifically now, there are women that have a hard time going back to full intimacy. It's because they're in pain. Sure. Because it's the place is sensitive. So I always tell women, and I always say, if it's not something that you can do yet, make sure your husband doesn't feel rejected. Make sure he understands it's not about him. Yeah. And do different things instead and work this out between you. But find the things that you could do together. Right? So now, now in the Jewish world, the time that she's not clean after birth. Sure. So you have that aspect. So, But find things you could do. Maybe you can play Rummy. You both like board games. <laughs> Maybe you can watch Sunset. Sure. You can listen to some calming music. You can have like the lights dimmed and have like tea and something and have like just quality time. I would almost say like intimate without being physical. Exactly. Like intimacy doesn't have to require physical contact in that same way. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, you know, I think that's that's something that we, we learn in with Nida, right? With like that, that whole idea of like you can... You can have a very close relationship. And actually, I think it's one of the beauties of Nita to some degree of like having having this intimacy and this closeness and this relationship that's not purely a physical intimacy. Yeah. I think that's um You can still have a very nice conversation. Yeah. You can still feel close to each other. You can still express and you can still spend quality time. Yeah. You know, the I think this also goes back to like the idea of being second place, right? Like, because then the kid comes in, and I like this this thought of like spending time with each other. Like, that's still a priority, even though there's a child. Um, but is there anything else that you'd say, like, for a husband who's, you know, who who might be second place now? Like, what is that? Especially on a first child, like, like I'm I I know. I know my relationship with my wife. I don't know everybody's relationship with their wives, right? right. Um, and I know that we've planned for a lot of these things, but I know a lot of people don't. Right. So especially on a first child, it's like my whole life was – I mean, not my whole life, but my whole marriage so far, it's just been you and me, right? And now it's it's suddenly not – you know, a third child, I think it's it's easier. Another one, it's right? Same routine. situation, exactly, yeah. which is actually why it's interesting to me that PPD happens – you were, you mentioned on the third child very often, but yeah. I, I can understand why it would happen on the first one. Is there something that, a, uh, besides for obviously quality time together, is there anything that a, a father can do who's worried about, or, or not worried about, but like feeling like second place? He has to know that it's not forever. Because at the end of the day, I think the Gemara also says that, that God forbidden when a, when a husband dies, he died for his wife. At the end of the day, you are partners 
and ch children, which we want. We want to raise them with healthy boundaries, with love and with independency. And every child is going to have their journey and they're going to go and take their own journey and their own path in their life. Yeah. And they're also going to be hopefully a parent one day and they're going to be in a relationship one day. So at the end of the day, it's not forever. And not just till you marry them off. Even <laughs> they when go to college. Even, yeah. <laughs> or they go to college. Even when they're little kids, the beginnings are hard. Kolat chalot kashot. 100%. Because it's a lot of adjustments. But at the end of the day, with a healthy bond and a, and a good and non-threatening relationship, the two of you are going to be one unit, raising and giving and worrying and want to give to your child the world. Yeah. But you're going to still be one unit. So it's not forever. It's just the very beginning, which it's, it's a huge shift. For sure. But then once the dynamics are changing, the dynamics of your marriage is as being parents, which I mentioned in the beginning, that's a lifetime deal. That's forever. But that doesn't mean that you're, the relationship between the two of you, husband and wife, is going to be less. Yeah. It also means, doesn't mean the transition is going to be forever, right? Like, no, it's not. Exactly. The It's not going to be forever. It's going to be very tight. It's, it's, it's a couple it, of years, and, and, you know, whatever just it may be. Understand, not even. Once the child is already, the, the baby starts sleeping at night, is already on a schedule, getting used to motherhood, getting used to fatherhood. Hormones are back to normal, which can take easily up to a year, but wow. for hormones to shift back, doesn't have to but it could. Uh, things will settle. You will find yourself in a different situation and it's going to become mother nature. So just understanding that it's not forever is, I think, already a big deal. Yeah. I wonder how much of what men deal with has to do with like just the societal norms of what a father has to do. Like, you know, for example, right? Father, father needs to be okay, right? Father has to be there for the wife. The wife is is the one dealing with you know dealing with the hormones. So, you know he he should be okay. Much like we you know no one's asking the guy how are you feeling, right? You know when the baby's born, especially like ah oh, baby's born healthy baby. How's the mother? How's the mother doing? She's doing great. No one asks. No one asks how the father's doing. It's like right, and that's yeah. like that's a common societal norm. And then I would also add like. Guys, guys talk less about emotions right. and feelings like yeah. that, right? There are more um, men in jail. There are more ma women at therapists. Yeah, and and to some degree, it's not that uh, that men aren't dealing with the emotions, right? But they 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 bury them a lot. Like yeah. it's it's a common problem. And it sits into somewhere in the body. Yeah, a hundred percent. It doesn't mean that the stress it just flew out the window. It's going to get observed somewhere. Yeah. In their heart, in their physical well-being. It's going it's, somewhere. It stays there. Yeah. So with the um with a lot of these societal norms and with like men ultimately not being very vocal about like their need to, to deal with this, their their need to to either talk to somebody or that they're feeling these this way in the first place, like I guess this is a two-part question. Number one, how do we challenge that that um, that social norm? And um, 
And how does like how should a husband if if there's a husband listening to this who's who's maybe not me, maybe he's me in six months, right? And they're and dealing with like the stresses, like what's what's their first step? Is it call Sparks? Because I mean, yeah. It's, they should reach out. They should reach help. out to Sparks. But yeah, what, what they are, should reach out to Sparks, and if they don't feel comfortable, I should hope they have a good friend or someone they can speak to. I, I should hope that they understand that what they're feeling is normal. Normalizing is a is a big deal. Yeah. And after normalizing comes a plan of action. What is it that I can possibly feel better? Awareness is, you know, knowledge is power. Absolutely. So, and that's why, again, that's why we're doing this podcast here right now is, yeah. you know, knowledge being power. Yeah. Now to change it on a, on a society level is like with everything, you know, it's, it's not something that's easy, but it's something that can come with time and one person at a time, everyone that's going to listen to this, every personal connection you have to other guys and you talk about it and you bring it up and they bring it up to their guys I you know we should maybe do like a big social media campaign and start talking about postpartum for husbands maybe and um, and and get out there some more awareness so but you know we can change the world we can change ourselves and and bring awareness one at a time on a personal level and on a more mass scale with, like I said, with, with podcasts, with, with social media, with different forms of, of, of awareness. But it's all about awareness at the end of the day. Yeah. I want to, um, you know, obviously we're, we're getting closer to the end of this podcast. And right. I, I did want to ask, you know, we've talked about the the mother we've talked about the father we've talked about how the uh the what the mother is dealing with what the father can do to help and what the and then obviously the when the father is dealing with things as well what about family outside of that right um now i, I to some degree i expect that people aren't going to be overly uh open with with their family members about hey i'm dealing with ppd right but no, I should hope that they will with a close family member, well, like I, parents. I hope they will. I don't expect that that's something that people yeah, are overly I should hope. With. It's but very important. What, what can, can can family members, you know? Oh, they can help a helpful. lot. I should hope that that the relationship with parents is not dysfunctional mm -hmm. and it's healthy enough to say because not everyone is that super healthy, but it's healthy enough to be able to share and get support. The couple, they're young. They're still in, in, in childbirth age, even if it's not the first child. Sure. And it's very hard for them to take this all on on their own. So they should absolutely have family support, close friend support. Of course, they don't have to take a microphone and go announce it to the whole world. But at the same time, stigma and shame shouldn't be something that keeps them back. Because yeah. then if it's not enough that they're dealing what they're dealing, they're also dealing with a whole other huge thing, which is stigma. And that can freeze them. And can, you know, oxytocin, which is a very important hormone, comes from support. Yeah, 100%. That's the love hormone. Comes from like a hug. It comes from a hug. Yeah. Comes from even verbal support, emotional support. So that's a big one. 
And so, I should hope the couple should not be on their own. You know, like I had a few OBGYNs that mentioned to me that in the communities that the woman, they go back to the parents for the first couple of weeks mm-hmm. and they're being helped out and um, and the meals are there and good food is there and support is there and helping out with the babies. They told me they see less PPD yeah. in those moms. Well, I think it's amazing, you know, in, in the Jewish community. First of all, that's very common. It's also very common for uh, Kimpaturim, which, right. you know, does does something similar. And night nurse. Yeah. But, you know, for I think a lot of people have parents who can be overbearing, right? And for for those reasons, like, they might not want to tell their parents, hey, I'm dealing with this mental health condition, right? The hormonal. Or hormonal, right, whatever it may be. Um, it's hormonal, but I'm saying uh, yeah. the, the depression part, which is right. you know the mental. Um, seems like so, mental, yeah. So what can you know if, if if a parent is listening to this of a child who now has postpartum depression, like what can they do? They need to not, support to too. not and not be. We have parents calling us all the time because they want knowledge. They're very worried, especially in extreme cases. Got forbid how how does it feel to parents when their daughter is now in a psychiatric award because she became manic it's frightening yeah so parents do need support they also need support but let's not go to extreme in you know mild you know in, in which we call still within the norm right so boundaries is always important so we can again we parents should be getting advice and support what is healthy boundaries for them and let's not even go to ppd which we would kind of name which i don't like the naming but for this podcast we'll name it disorder not the norm right but even in just regular postpartum where a young mom is more sensitive she's overwhelmed the, the husband is overwhelmed just Let's deal with within the, not the disorder frame. It's also important to have parent support. And it's also important then to have healthy boundaries. So definitely parents should educate themselves. Because sometimes they don't know what's flying either. Makes sense. And call Sparks. Call, call everyone. Spark. Call. Maybe go see a, a mental health professional for themselves. Yeah, be yourself in therapy, yeah. be in counseling, get advice, get support, know how to deal. Just like when parents are being challenged with anything that goes wrong with the child, it's very, very hard. Sure. So this is very hard in the same way. Parents stay parents forever, like I said. Yeah. And we don't want to see our kids struggling. I mean, you almost to be a parent. I'm already a parent for 36 years. So I would never want to see my child struggle. And if a child of mine is struggling, I'm struggling. It's hard. So it's always about for you to be recharged, for you to understand what is it that you can do for yourself that your battery doesn't go off. You know, you don't stay with no gasoline. So it's support and and education. And knowledge is something always for everyone involved. 
because everyone is going to have their struggle on their level, even siblings. Like the story I told you about the, the young lady that was bleeding all over. Yeah. So she's the oldest in her family. And her siblings watched horrible things, the young ones. And they needed support too. In that particular case, the mom is bright and educated and not at all someone that would push her head into the wall and make believe. And she wanted her children to get the support and the understanding. Wow. Speaking of, of, of knowledge, is there like books, resources, yeah. besides for obviously this podcast? Yeah, first it's on um, Spark's website. But courses, you know, Yeah, yeah like on that. Spark's website, you see a whole, you see, you see links to books, you see links to other websites. But the very basic one is postpartum for dummies. Another one is from Brooke Shield, Down Came the Rain. Her book is about her personal story, but it explains a lot about postpartum. And there are many other books. There are also Jewish books. I don't recall right now the names, but you go into Eichler's even, you find them. Wow. But women, I know myself that some women ask me for, you know, an endorsement and, you know, that they wrote up their life story. And it seems like people are being more open with this. Yes, now. they are. I mean, obviously, definitely more than when you started 16 years ago. Uh, Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge change. Now, what about other children in the family? It's not always first baby. Sure. You can have other kids that understand that their mom is not, it's not their mom. What's going on? So the children also need education, and they also need support. Are there children books? Like my mom, something like, I don't know, I my mommy's someone, not feeling well yeah, kind of thing? I think someone gave actually out, I, I would Google it. I think someone gave out a, a, a children's book with pictures. I hope we can find that out and put that in the description of this podcast yeah. also. Um, I think there is. So people should go to Sparks website for resources, which is Sparks Women. No, it's, no, it's uh, www.sparkscenter.org. Sparkscenter.org. Yeah. Okay. And they should always know they have the phone number handy, which is seven one eight two seven seven two Sparks seven one eight two seven seven two seven five seven. But to remember it easily, number two Sparks. Beautiful. It's P A R K S. 7182 Sparks. Sparks. Yeah. I like that. Um, so, what's your last word here? Well, I, I have two last questions for you before, I, before we close this out um, that I wanted to ask. Um, number one is what message would you, would you send out to the people who are dealing with PPD right now? If you had to say. Alone. One more time. You're not alone. And that's it. You're not Call, alone. You're not Reach alone. Out. Call Sparks. Reach out and don't wait. And I think the, the because even if you only need to get advice or you need to get reassurance that you're okay, you're not alone. Don't do it on your own. It's very different when someone listens from the other side and is giving you the reassurance. Absolutely. Or the help, whatever is needed. 
each case is different, yes. right? And that's that's the beauty of it. Contact Sparks and, and work out for your specific case. Yeah, don't just go on what Google tells you. <laughs> because any symptom you're going to Google, you're going to get so much information that really does not belong of course. to you. If I, if I have a headache and I Google it, I'm, oh I'm dying of cancer. You of know? course, <laughs> anything. I, according to Google, I had already cancer many times in my life. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> many times. Um, my last question um, for the people who are listening right now, uh, maybe people who've who've listened to the podcast before, or, or people who've never listened and are listening right now for the first time, what can they do to to help raise awareness and and really break like the stigmas? You know, I didn't before this conversation. I knew very little about about PPD, um, and I I think I know a good a definitely a good amount more now, and I have like a little bit more mental preparedness. Um, and you know, I have resources that I can look up. I know Sparks is available if I have these things. But like, the reason I didn't know about this stuff beforehand is it's just not talked about, right? right. There's this stigma around it, it's and especially like about. the hard stories. Like we brought up some some really harsh realities, um, and and real life situations that have happened. Like no one talks about that. So, what can people do to to break that stigma and raise that awareness? To talk about it. To talk about it. If we would now have here audience and we would in a very make in in a very watch how should I call it in the perfect world right where we'd be no stigma no shame no and I would say let's be honest right here any one of you if it's male female you have been challenged on some level in pregnancy or after birth please speak up you know how many would or even stand up for a stand moment. Up. Stand up. Raise your hand. Yeah. Raise your hand. Absolutely. We would have a lot of them. So getting rid of your own stigma, your own shame, embarrassment, understanding it has nothing to do with you, not as a husband and not as a wife. It's nothing to do with your personality, with your character, with your ability to be a good parent. And just speak so much less stigma would be going on in the world. So that's really what it is. Yeah. If just rabbis can talk about it in their shul, in their synagogue. Or any community The Redbitsins, the Kala teachers, the the friends, the shtibel, the, the standing at night and, and schmoozing about all kind of macho stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even, even the... The doulas and the OBGYNs are like the people who are anyone who's dealing, consultants, yeah. you anybody who's dealing with this stuff. The midwives, you you name it. The pediatricians, the obstetricians, just talk about it. You know, I um, I'm getting out a book, hopefully soon. Yeah, that's now, awesome. Yeah, now after Libby's wedding, I'm gonna. I took a break of a year from writing. But I have eight or nine chapters done, done. Wow. So have I'd a love few to see more it. to go. I'd love to see it. Yeah. I was going to say, um, you know that, that I uh, I served in the IDF, in the Israeli Defense yes. Forces. And, and right now, actually, we have the whole situation going on in oh, Israel, yeah. which is uh, not really relevant. But on Sukkot, which was just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was I was together with a bunch of you know our, our, a bunch of veterans. We have this community of, of vets here in the U.S., um, and we get together for you know 
weekends and just barbecues and a lot of wow, great events. That's amazing. Uh, and we were sitting down by one with my wife, and my wife at this point is visibly, you know, visibly pregnant. And there were a few other women, you know, who who had kids there, and we started talking about it, about like, you know. Of course, they started talking about like, oh, which doctor are you using and which hospital and what it's like. And and um, at some point, the conversation of postpartum depression came up. And I was very open. Like, you know, it's something that I, I've I've heard a decent amount about from you. Um, obviously, I don't I don't know much, but I've, I've heard of it. You know what I mean? And people were very open about it. And and in that conversation, there were like women like I. I dealt with it on my third child. I dealt with it on my second child. And it was like, and we just had the conversation. You see, that's exactly yeah. what I mean. And and I would have never known otherwise. Of you know, course it would not. not have even been a conversation. So like just bringing it up exactly. and, and being like, hey, I'm open to hearing it. I'm not, I'm I'm not, I'm not judgmental. I'm not, I don't think there's something wrong with you because I'm hearing this. Like I know it's not a a right. you issue. Like made people like open to talk about it. And, exactly. and it was it was it was eye opening how many people had some form of it, even if it was just like um like you said mild mild case like a little bit more than baby blues, which I think everyone to some degree deals with. And again, I'm I'm no expert. Um, a lot of women deal. You know, I can't say um, everyone, but yeah, I have for example, I have over twenty nieces and nephews. Whoa. Okay. I have no idea if my sister in laws have ever dealt with it. Of course, because not. it's never been a conversation. They wouldn't tell you exactly. And I think that if perhaps even by just having this conversation, we break some stigmas of of like I'm not a woman, for example, and I'm and and I'm here having this conversation. I want to know, and I want to know what what I can do, and I want to know which is you know, very brave and powerful. I I love that that the the extent that you're preparing yourself and how much you want to know, and and you your knowledge is power. Yeah. And it's power to others. I might be over-preparing. It's f- and that's perfectly fine, you know? Um, and in some ways, sometimes I over-prepare for things. But, you know, I like like I said, I'd rather prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And, like, it's yeah, almost like don't if... don't go there. It's really, it's uh, psychosis and those is one in a thousand. A hundred, so oh, 100%. There's no reason for you to uh, do I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm saying when there's I say no prepare for the worst, for prepare for for. PPD to be a reality if yes. it's going to happen, yeah. right? And know, like, know what can happen. Don't expect that it's going to happen. Don't like, I'm not going to now start looking up, you know, mental institutions no. or you know, psychosis centers, right? Like, you know, it's, of course and, not. In back of but, your mind, you know like, plenty. Exactly. I know enough that if it's if it happens, I know how to. I know what what I need. To, I know the steps I need to take, right? Yeah. And I'm like that. It's you know again as a as a soldier. There's something called tactical tactical awareness and, and preparedness. Like I have a, a bag, you know, w- with all of my gear in it. I hope I never have to use it in my life, right? But I also know what to do in that situation. Right. I know the things that I need to do. I know what what gear I need. Like I have that prepared. Um, and I think that this case is this is no different. Um, you know, I know Sparks. Okay, if I have, if I, I run into this situation, I I can contact Sparks. They're, you guys are confidential. You guys yeah, will will help us out. Um, and I and hope I never, I hope I never have service. to call you, other than for the great relationship that we right. have. Right. I hope I never have to call you for that. Um, but I think also for the people listening, like it's 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 something you should know about, something you should be um, aware of, and mentally prepared 
for the reality that it can happen. Uh, and if it if it does happen, not be like, what is happening? What's going on? Like, no one told me this can happen. You know, like, why is my significant other spouse or why am I feeling this way? Like, it can happen yeah. and, and it's okay. And, and, and on another note, we are offering um, counseling also for the ones that do not have PPD. Just the reality of changing to motherhood or fatherhood, oh, getting wow. support, getting some knowledge, joining a light support group, which is just for new moms. Yeah. With other ones that are being now in big trauma. We offer that. And that's also important. Just to to go on the phone on Zoom something with a with a counselor that can just, you know, just normalize things, give some good tips for motherhood and giving giving some preventative ideas. So we we definitely offer that. So it's not just okay, do I fall in under category of PPD which is a disorder? No, no. you don't have to. You can I love still that. get support. I like that that it's it actually takes you guys past being an organization for PPD and being an organization for new moms. And not just new moms, but like moms. Right. moms. Moms as they become moms. Right. Um, that's amazing. Thank or you for- Or they become a new mom for a new child, which yeah. also shifts dynamics. Um, so I just want to say this, this, first of all, this conversation was amazing. And yes, I really appreciated that so we, we got to do this. I had fun. Uh, same. And I, and I learned really a lot, fun. which, you know, and again, some harsh realities, some some important things that you I think are good questions. Thank you. Uh, like I, like you I did. said, I I like preparing, right? Yes. This is this is why we're doing You're this. You're very thorough. Um, <laughs> but I, I just want to thank you not only for having this conversation for, with me, but also just the work that you are doing in general for for people who are dealing with us. Um, like you said, sixteen years that. ago. There was nothing, and and you probably would have never done this had you known. But you know what? You're still doing it, right? You didn't stop Which because you know the reality. Insane that I'm doing it. Like sometimes, I just I'm asking myself, "Are you for real? You're still doing? Are you for real?" Yeah, like, but you are, and you're here. I mean, you're here right now. So I'm here right now. So thank you for that. And on behalf of the, of you know the many people who are perhaps silent about it, and perhaps silent about their experience afterwards because of the stigmas. Like, yeah. like I'll be the one to thank you on, on behalf of them right now. Thank you. And thank you for taking part in this and such a major part, not just for today's conversation, but for for the, for the media that you're running, for, for, for the podcast that you are really creating and and for the and for the name you named it i did, I did. Conversations, conversations was yours so yeah thank you yeah. for all that